Frank, a quick little update here because I know everybody is clamoring to know how my new office space is. Ooh, yet again, a new office space. Uh, Is this going to be a rapport on whether the beautiful construction you created last time, whether it survived, or is this another different office? Yes, no, that is correct. We did an entire episode on office spaces and cleanup. I'll put it in the show notes below, of course. However, you know, at that time, I had just gone through a V1 rev of the new office space, cleaning up the cables, doing all the things, putting all the things in the right place and, you know, just taking all those cables and making them all nice and bundled up and out of sight, out of mind, and also putting in monitor arms. Do you remember that? Ooh, yes. This is the good stuff here. This is when you become a real professional. I haven't actually gotten myself to this level, so I'm a little bit jealous. Yeah, I about a month ago put in one of the monitor arms because it was kind of an undertaking. You got to dismantle it. <laughs> you got to put the visa mount in correctly. And for one and they're person, they're big and heavy. They're they're big and heavy. You don't realize until you're like installing them. You're like, geez, well, I guess it is lifting this like 30 pound thing. How heavy is your monitor? Uh, I have a I have one 23 inch and one 25 inch. I mean, you know, there's still like 10. There's still 10 ish pounds, 10. I guess. I don't sure. know. Yeah, but we'll call it 10. But you're you know, you have to screw it into the back while you're holding up the front. And like it doesn't, <laughs> you know, I had, I had to have Heather help, Heather help me out. But I had done one just as a trial run and I started to I really enjoyed it. You can move it around. You can tilt it. You can very free form. And they were nice monitors, so they had very deluxe stands. And it took a while for me to get around to the second one just because I'm lazy. But I will tell you this much. After I put up the first one, it was so nice because you can just slide everything underneath. All the cords are in a line. I did the other one last night. And Frank, I have so much space on my desk. It is beautiful. The all everything, nothing has changed really at all. Besides, I put in these arms. Everything is clean for the most part. I have a little bit more stuffed monkeys around. I've organized my devices and cables with little cable organizer things that like stick to the desk. And just a quick update is everything is going great. And I couldn't highly recommend going through a revamp like this. Um, if you're looking at your desk and you're like, I don't like this. <laughs> well, I don't like mine, James. I'm totally jealous. Um, I bought a Visa mount for my iMac but I haven't yet gotten an arm. I am worried. It's more than 10 pounds. The little guy's heavy. Uh, but I am totally jealous. But just to uh, put a curse on you, I assume that all those wires are going to be a mess under your monitor. They'll, they'll become messy again. But super jealous of you for now. <laughs> yeah, they will. They will definitely become messy. Unfortunately, cables are cables, and that's what they do. So, <laughs> But you yeah. know what? Where you don't need cables, Frank? Where's that, James? The Internet of Things. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Just kidding. There's cables everywhere. Are we doing an Internet of Things episode? Wow, I said those words. They're harder to say than I thought. <laughs> there are things of the Internet, and those things need to be programmed, Frank. They do. They do. Um, I've had to reluctantly start calling everything I do with embedded systems, IOT stuff so that I can talk to people. <laughs> so I take a very broad definition of IOT devices. And in my life, I have uh, the Echo device attached to a few random electronics I have. But most specifically, I like to make robots. And I'm going to throw robots under the IOT device category. 
Well, yeah, you you think about, you know, embedded and compact systems and just running .NET or other, you know, libraries on little devices. I mean, we've been been embedding Windows, you had the Windows embeddable embedding embeddable system or whatever, <laughs> and you had like, you know, compact .NET framework and we've had, you know, an evolution of well, there were you know, boards and things that went into other devices and they were somewhat connected to the internet. I think that's the big kicker is the connected to the internet part of it. And now what we're doing is we've shrunk those down exponentially to be tiny where they can run not only all of the .NET stack, but in some cases, Windows itself. And you can develop (laughs) unique kind of scenarios for those different devices. And you think... And I think, well, as a .NET developer, we had the .NET, you know, compact framework for a long time. And then there was like Windows 10 IoT core that came out to be the thing. But sometimes, Frank, you just run a run .NET on a little device and you want it to blink. And it seems as if there's more possibilities out there today, not just from the .NET team, but from other developers. And I figured we could maybe chit chat about that and, and maybe some of the things you're doing in that landscape. That sounds absolutely wonderful. So yeah, the thing that I'm kind of interested in right now is .NET Core trying to run on these devices and um, specifically .NET's IoT thing. But James, let's take a trip down memory lane because that's fun. It's always fun, right? Have you ever heard of Windows XP Embedded? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah? Wow. What were you doing with that? Well, you know, I used to work in um, not manufacturing, but printer development. Right. And okay. all of those printers, we had boxes and things embedded inside of them. Uh, I'm not going to give away trade secrets, but there was definitely <laughs> different components in the factories and different parts where they were using uh, Windows uh, Embedded or whatever, whatever that was. That's how I knew of it. Yeah. Oh, uh, so I thought I was going to trip you up there because in the past I used um, Windows CE for this stuff. This is going pretty far back. But Windows CE was the, mm, it wasn't even the NT kernel. It was a weird kernel. It was a weird device, but it ran on those cool PC 104. Do you remember that hardware form factor? No. Uh, it, it was basically a PC in Intel. So all the standard parts, except shrunk down into a little square. And they were cute. Um, much bigger than the Raspberry Pi these days. Took a lot more power. But they were our kind of small PCs back in the day. You know, they ran at 400 megahertz, that kind of stuff. And you ran Windows CE on it. And at one point, um, they even got Windows XP embedded running on that kind of hardware. So that's where we started out in this .NET world. Very nice. I remember the, a lot of what I remember is around not only the Windows XP embedded, but the Media Center edition, which is a lot that I worked at when I worked with Seton, Mm -hmm. getting into the set-top box uh, space. That's what was very, very popular. And where I remember not only working on the embedded systems too is the Windows XP embedded and other things were, you know, they were in like ATMs and phone booths. <laughs> and for me, I was in that set top box and um, um, area. And of course, the printer software, you'd have kiosks that were embedded in, in little screens. And at that time, they were more like kind of micro computers of some part almost. They just had they had a screen interface on them from what I remember. But often now, 
they don't or could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Thank God technology has advanced. I bet you a bunch of those were PC 104 uh, things. Well, what is PC 104 well, now that I've gone up and around and about your question to me? Oh, again, it's just that motherboard layout. It's just a very oh. small motherboard. So you're just squeezing lots of PC hardware, uh, maybe non-Intel chips, but still running x86 onto a thing. So it was our, you know, first attempt at making like a PC class, uh, you know, a heavy duty computer down into the smaller world. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. And they were stackable. It was very cute. You know, it was, it was the predecessor to basically Raspberry Pi and everything we're doing nowadays. I love, Super I fun. love, I love little computers that you can like stack and like little chips and exactly. like boards that like stack all up like Legos, you know? Yeah. And there was tons of crazy hardware you could buy for these things because it was a pretty big industry. And so just like now, um, whenever I'm bored, I just go onto Amazon and I search Raspberry Pi devices and I just look at all the like different little add-ons you can get. And the same thing applies applied back then. Uh, they were just way more expensive. You need to go through like sales channels. <laughs> so we're in a new world of IoT, Frank. So now that we're, are we done with memory lane? Are we in lane? Are we in the new world of IoT? Can we talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for letting me go down it. So yeah, now we're in the Amazon world where you can buy five analog sensors for $5 and it gets shipped to you within two hours and you can just Lego these things together all day long. And now I know of the Raspberry Pi, which is the most probably popular one out there. There's like, um, what else is out there though? When, when you buy these little things? Well, when you talk about this stuff, you always talk about power classes. So Mm. how much power does the device take? So kind of at the low end, you have the Arduinos, um, in the middle range, you don't have too many options, but you have the old net Duino and the soon coming out, uh, meadow boards so there's like a mid-range there then uh and there's a a a lot of players in that mid-range and um that also includes these awesome little chips uh the sp8266 and the sp32 terrible names james (laughs) (laughs) but they're uh such they're, they're cheap little chips they're cool Got it. I believe I hear Sue's always talking about this on her Twitch stream. She's because she does a lot of like JavaScripty things, and she's always talking about like these weird names. I'm like I don't know what she's talking about, but it seems like she's always doing <laughs> cool stuff. Well, the cool thing about them was they're just so cheap. Um, for eight dollars, you can have a Wi-Fi device that also has Bluetooth four running on it, mm. and it's it's the old days of embedded systems. You only have you know. I don't even remember, but call it 100K to work with of memory, I should say. And you generally write your programs in C. These are the low power devices. They take 100 milliamps to 300 milliamps, depending on what they're doing. But they're cool. Fun, fun. A lot of people can do a lot with them just because they're so cheap. You can put a battery on them and they last forever. Then moving up the scale. Now you have the Raspberry Pi and... um, Every major chip manufacturer has something like a Raspberry Pi that you can go buy. Got it. Got it. And I see there's like a lot of starter kits that you can buy too that kind of have a bunch of things in it. I know we, uh, you know, friend of the show, um, uh, Costanage, he, you know, 
put together a kit with the meta board that you were kind of talking about. And there's, there's more than just the board. You need the breadboard and the lights and the monitors <laughs> and the SD and the Bluetooth chips and the things and kind of constructing those things together if, if you desire. Um, yeah. and then they need to like run stuff too, I assume. <laughs> yeah. Um, well you quickly get into, um, device driver life you know for all these little devices you want to attach to your main device you need a way to talk to them which is basically device drivers but we don't really have operating systems so it's, it's all kind of fun and weird <laughs> but um i want to give i want to give a shout out to another um board though that's kind of like a raspberry pi do you mind no go for it yeah it's your show frank <laughs> my show um nvidia james the gpu people um they have a board called the Jetson. And this one's claim to fame is it's basically a GPU on the smallest form factor you can get it without, you know, blowing up circuits and causing fires or anything like that. But the idea is to shrink down GPUs specifically for machine learning and AI. Doesn't that sound fun? So you have something uh -huh. Raspberry Pi sized, generally the same power envelope but able to execute neural networks very quickly. That's very cool. I remember that Google was working on the TensorFlow like module or whatever that they have. And they're like a really, they looked small at least, but they were very like focused in on creating stuff for uh, AI and machine learning in general to run TensorFlow. Yeah, actually, you nailed it right there. I think um, there was just a TensorFlow um, conference or something, announcements, I don't know, mm -hmm. keynote, something like that. And they were just mentioning uh, they have a smaller version of the library called TensorFlow Lite. And that's actually what runs on all this embedded hardware because they can't quite seem to get all the functions <laughs> from TensorFlow running in hardware on these devices. But it's still a nice step in the right direction. Yeah, I like that. I, I, I one day want to be able to be, become an IoT expert. I mean, I'm a .NET developer, and I know that there's .NET code that can be run on these devices. And yeah, I want to create robots, and I want to create little devices that can measure temperatures and can trigger other things and can be combined with my other C-sharp and .NET-y skills like Azure Functions that trigger something and IoT Hub then does something else and like whiz bang, like everything is amazing and awesome. connected, right? You know, that's, I want to, you know, and I Twitch stream, like, you know, it, it tells me and it knows how long and then it pours water into my mouth and then it triggers something and then the chat's like, yay, James, you're so awesome, you know, and that's kind of what I want one day. Can I do that, Frank? How do I do that? I, you're, you're making me think of um, that YouTube channel that's like terrible robots or something. Uh, <laughs> I forget her name. This woman, she she makes these awesome robots that do the most terrible things. Like she had one that was supposed to feed her cereal and it just kept smacking her in the head. No, no. It's a great... <laughs> it's funnier than it sounds. She's <laughs> she's doing it on purpose, but it's hilarious. But she's making these contraptions kind of like you just described. Um I'd recommend to people, uh, yes, do that. The bigger your mouse trap, the more complicated it is, the better it's going to be. Absolutely, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> well, I want to talk about exactly what type of code we can run on these devices, but let's take a break really quick and thank our sponsor this week, Raygun. Listen, Frank, are you struggling to replicate the bugs and performance issues that you have in your apps, Frank? I know this is true. 
I totally do. My apps have to run on a million billion different devices with a million billion different operating systems. I'm at a loss, James. Help. Well, all you got to do is plug Raygun into your web and mobile applications to help you diagnose problems in minutes rather than hours. You can kiss goodbye having to dig through log files, relying on frustrated user reports, and reading those one-star reviews. No one wants to do that. You can make your software development life so much easier with Raygun's error, crash, and performance monitoring tools. Every single developer and software team in the world deserves to be able to create flawless software experiences for their customers with ease with Raygun. You can go to raygun.com slash merge conflict to learn more and get a free trial to start integrating Raygun into your applications today. Thanks to Raygun for sponsoring this episode of Merge Conflict. Thanks, Raygun. Yeah. Yes, I will fix my performance, James. I will. You better. You better do it. Okay, so what can... We know the boards. There's a bunch of boards that are cool. I'm a .NET developer. What can I do now? (laughs) Well, we've always actually had a lot of options. Like I mentioned, the Netduino from before. From its name, you might have guessed it ran .NET. Um, But... uh, Oh, and then on the Raspberry Pi side... We've actually been able to run Mono on there for a little while. But James, do you know what the cool stuff is these days? Is it those? No, it's .NET Core. (laughs) So (laughs) what's happening, which is really fun, is um, .NET Core is getting a set of IoT APIs to talk to all those little devices that you buy off of Amazon to plug into your uh, Raspberry Pi and all of that. And it's a big deal. I'm very excited about it. We, we have to dig in a little. Yeah. And this is specifically, you know, our, our main man, Rich Lander, uh, who I've talked to and he's demoed a lot of blinking lights, a lot of blinking lights, Frank, <laughs> so many blinking lights, yeah. but uh, he was really excited because he is got really into it. And you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds as if, you know, .NET Core itself runs today on Mac, Windows, and Linux. And the idea here is that the .NET Core runtime would be extended to specific kind of IoT platforms or hardware specific, such as maybe the Raspberry Pi or the BeagleBone or the Hummingboard uh, that are out there today because those are supporting maybe ARM32 or ARM64 or certain types of platforms. But on top of that, though, you would be able to run .NET code, but then access the device-specific hardware through a set of .NET APIs called System Device GPIO, which you'll have to tell me exactly what it is. I'm assuming <laughs> IO is input-output. Let me guess, let me guess. PIN? PIN input-output? general purpose input output nailed it you got it ding 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 you win something wow so that that would that would allow me to access all of the things and all of the whatever but what they would be doing is almost like the xamarin essentials for these devices is that kind of an accurate representation yeah, uh, that was good. I didn't think of that analogy before, so I'm processing it. Yeah, the Xamarin Essentials for devices. I like that. They should take it. Run with it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to clarify one thing that you said before, though. Uh, that is, you when you were talking about the runtime .NET Core running on all these devices, everything you said was correct for .NET Core 2. 
we got a new feature in .NET Core 3, though. And this is super cool. You can run the SDK on these devices now also. That means MS Build, C Sharp, all of that. Mm. Uh, so it was a weird situation in the past, James. If I was on my Raspberry Pi, I would use the mono compiler <laughs> to compile my code and then run it in .NET Core. A little bit funny, huh? Wow. And uh, I emailed Rich. I'm like, dude, where's the SDK? He's like, dude, it's really slow. And I'm like, it's fine, whatever. I just want to be able to do it on device, you know? So I'm very happy that with .NET Core 3, uh, the SDK is available, not just the runtime. It's very interesting so you could would it then be connected to an ide of sorts or are you in like some weird terminal prompt connected <laughs> to it <laughs> do you actually want to know how i do my setup this is a little digression yeah sure no sure sure he's questioning no uh so on the raspberry pi it's a linux box and i do um a network share of a directory mm. my code directory so that way I can use my favorite text editors on my Mac and just edit the code directly. So normally you would be right. You would be shelled into it and you'd use VI or something, but I'm too old for that. I want my IDEs. <laughs> <laughs> so I just map a network drive. And then I do have a shell open so that I can run .NET build, all that stuff. But I should also give a shout out that um, at least Visual Studio for Mac, I'm sorry, I don't know Visual Studio for Windows story here. Uh, they have this IoT integration where right from the IDE, you can debug on device. So just like we do uh, iPhone development or Android development, you're doing it, but with a Raspberry Pi. Mm -hmm. And it's super trippy. That's cool. Yeah, I, I like that. Uh, the idea of just plugging in and I had done some Netduino work and that's sort of how it was. You had to install a bunch of things to yeah. get it to work and you were compiling locally and kind of pushing the, the final package over. But that seems a lot nicer. And for the fact that in those worlds, everything was very minimal, right? And you had to do very specific hardware, but it sounds like this is opening up the opportunities to go to all sorts of different devices. Yeah, this works on the Raspberry Pi in addition to the NVIDIA Jetson and in addition to whatever Intel, Edison, I forget what they call theirs, you know, all the chip makers have their own. <laughs> so that's, um, that's probably the coolest part of .NET Core 3 for me. But finally, let's talk about um, these devices, how you were talking about the Xamarin Essentials for devices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the problem here is that um, any manufacturer can just make a new chip, put it on a board, put it on uh, Amazon or eBay or Alibaba, anything, and it does something cool. And all of a sudden you're like, hey, I want my device to have that feature and that. So you buy it and then you realize that it communicates with a weird serial protocol and all this weird stuff. And so that's a situation that a lot of IoT people and robot people um, fall into. Can you imagine that? Like just random electronics off the internet, but it's fun. It's fun in quotes. Yeah, I could imagine that. Well, I imagine that every single time that you yeah, buy anything, you never know if it's going to work. Is it going to be compatible? It's the it's in a way of when I build a computer, 
I have to do tons of research ahead of time. Like, does this RAM match with this board? And does this board match with this thing? And will this power, is this enough power? Is this the thing? And does this thing configure with this thing? And does it work? And then five years later, I hope I can find those parts that I bought five years ago because they don't exist anymore. Oh, you just described it perfectly. Take that, multiply it by 10, repeat it 10 times a year. Yep. (laughs) It's a hobby, James. It's a healthy hobby. (laughs) Yeah. So the cool thing here, though, is um, in addition to, as you mentioned, this GPIO thing, that's we consider that a very low level protocol. That's just blinking in LED on its binary on off stuff. Pretty boring, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so this library, this uh, .NET slash IoT library has a bunch of code specifically designed to interface with all these random electronics out there. Earlier in the episode, I called them drivers because that's essentially what they are, except in this case, they're more like user mode drivers. They're not running in the kernel. They're not running in Linux. They're running in your code. Mm. But the cool thing is we have a big library of them. Neat. Yeah, give me all of the things. So if I want to do essentially anything on the different devices I can, I can do. And I was looking at the list on GitHub. Now I don't know all of these things, but <laughs> they're, they all have weird super names like HTS two, two, one, which is a capacitive digital sensor for relative humidity and temperature. <laughs> yep. They have the MCP two, three XXX IO expander. Sounds mm-hmm. delightful. The S H T three X temperature and humidity sensor. So these are like bindings to a specific de- device. Basically, is that correct? Yeah. So what you're doing is using the low level hardware in the Raspberry Pi or the Netuino, you know, or the Meadow, whatever it is. And that low level hardware is just binary on off, you know, that kind of stuff. And these are nice, friendly APIs. You know, this tests your API design. How friendly can you make this piece of hardware? And it's a difficult task. Some of this hardware is actually very complicated. You know, uh, that temperature and humidity sensor, it does temperature and humidity, but it also does like six other things that no one ever talks about. So there's always this like, um, how good do you make this code? And uh, um, yeah, just how good, you know, how many features do you expose and how friendly do you make the interface? But, you know, discussing those funny names, as you call them, I've been doing this for so long, I actually recognize pretty much all of these names. That's a little sick. (laughs) Well, my favorite so far is this ADXL345 accelerometer. Seems pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. You definitely want one of those. But I prefer the MPUs over those. (laughs) I want a gyro with my accelerometer. So the LSM9DS1 is kind of my my jam. That's my jam, James. (laughs) You should become like a IoT expert. That should that should be your thing. I don't know why you haven't switched careers yet, Frank. Well, so the reason I'm so interested in this library is back in the day, I worked on another library just like this called uh, Monkey Robotics. Mm-hmm. And we had the exact same goal um, of just supporting as much random hardware out there as you can find. The difference is um, we were coding to... Uh, what do they call it? The micro framework, the .NET micro framework, James? Is that its name? I believe it was that, yes. Let's go with that. It was it was this funny one that was like, I think it started out on the watch, the spot watch. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> so all of that code was um, written for that. But the neat thing is um, we'll be able to merge that kind of code into this uh, .NET stuff, which is, I think it's all just .NET standard as far as I know. So technically you could kind of get it to work on your Mac or your Windows computer also. Um, but uh, it, it's just nice to see everyone concentrating their effort on one thing. And Microsoft has enough backing to push this along. It's just, you know, nice to see that effort. Yeah, it's a huge effort um, from the .NET team. And it makes a lot of sense because I was asking you, I said, didn't the Windows team, like, didn't we already have this? And and you're like, yes. And you're like, it's, and you're like, it's Windows 10 IoT core. And that is, and I said, what's the difference? And you're like, well, the difference there, of course, is that you're running Windows. You have to run Windows on those devices. And it's to bring over a, a slimmed down version of, of Windows that only be to run IoT types of devices, which is great if if you are buying that specific hardware or want to do that. However, you may have use cases where, you know what, you just don't want to reflash or do anything like that, but you just want this slimmed down device, different devices that can support .NET um, code. And I'd imagine that there's probably interoperability from reading the documentation between this .NET core and the Windows 10 IoT core, from what I've seen at least. That would be very smart of them. I really hope they did. So I hope it's shipped, I'm pretty sure it's shipped as a .NET standard library that just has platform-specific stuff. So on Windows, I think it just uses UWP. So we should give a full shout-out to UWP because I think they did a really good job with it. I was really surprised more than anything else to see that UW. UWP included an IoT library. They did yeah. the low-level stuff. They didn't work on this high-level stuff as we're talking, this device support. But, you know, darn. I, that was the first kind of standard API for low-level hardware since um, Arduino, basically. It was a good competitor to Arduino. And they have a really good um, experience if you run the IoT version of Windows 10 on the Raspberry Pi instead of Linux, you get full debugging. Everything works pretty darned well. Uh, you just uh, have to code your app as a UWP app. Yeah, which isn't which isn't too bad. I've I've written many of them, and in fact, you can just put a button down and you can click a button, and if you have you know some sort of UI that you can go into, you can interact with an app app that you're building with XAML on a device, which. It's kind of freaking cool. Yeah, it is. Um, and I think if you plug a screen into it, yeah, you can render all the XAML and I think like touch screens work. So it's a really quick way to bring up your own kiosk or anything like that. I think it really is a good experience. I'm sure there's some licensing to pay for Windows there. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, I don't know. For me, though, I guess I'm just old fashioned. I like my Linux. <laughs> I don't I like my shells. I'm so used to it that uh, I'm just happy to have um, all this richness coming over there. Do you think that for 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 a long time, IoT, I don't really have seen as a .NET developers getting, I think they've been interested in it and I could be reading this wrong, but I never felt as if it was a platform that was super first class. And is this an indication that this is sort of changing in your mind or how do you feel about that? Yeah, um, there's a few factors at play here, um, like industry adoption of it versus the maturity of the library. They're kind of two different things. 
from a maturity of the library standpoint, I would use this in a heartbeat if I was in industry. Most people in industry are writing really, really bad C++ code. I've looked at it. I've read it. I've tried to translate it to C Sharp. It's bad. (laughs) Bugs everywhere. And this is running on little supposedly critical devices. You know, we don't want them to be hacked or anything. So I think technologically, .NET's been ready on these devices for the last eight years. (laughs) But now it's really getting some, you know, good buy-in with Microsoft in this space. But I do want to mention um, that power spectrum thing again, and this is the hardware side of it. Um, Device manufacturers are cheap. (laughs) They don't want to pay anything for their hardware. The cheaper the hardware, the better. That means the slower the hardware, the less memory, all those are pros. All that, yes, please. (laughs) And so um, running .NET, which has higher performance requirements as we've discussed before not technically but you know that garbage collector takes time other things take time um in general we've had to run it on more powerful hardware more expensive hardware and that's been unfortunate fortunately though the industry is catching up and dotnet's able to run (laughs) on smaller hardware it's a beautiful time to be a dotnet developer that's what i always like to say frank (laughs) just saying i like i like to see it as it as it goes and you're right i think the maturity level of not only the devices, but the frameworks too, and the runtimes are starting to reach out into all sorts of directions uh, that now the hardware and software can sort of align up, right? And early on into any of this, usually you fall into that state where everything is so early, so you're hacking everything together and just trying to make it all work. And then as things take time and we get there, and then it's hopefully easier going. I don't want to say easy going, right? I mean, <laughs> no. when you think of mobile app development 10 years ago compared to now, pretty different. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? This one still has a lot of random cables plugged into a lot of random things. People have these beautiful blog posts where they organized the cables and took a beautiful picture, but that's never what it looks like when you're building these things. Hopefully you build it, it's a rat's nest, and then you clean it up and you put it in a box and you tape it together and you hope you never have to touch it ever again. But that's kind of, <laughs> I mean, that's the hobby side of it. The, the nice thing, though, is if you ever do wish to get more advanced, you can make uh, circuit boards very easily these days. You can get plastic parts manufactured very easily these days. But that's taken the hobby to the next level, and I haven't even dared go there. Well, at a minimum, you can use that fancy 3D printer to print off a fancy 3D case for your bar board. And so just this oh, one I, step there. I do. Don't worry about that. I got lots of cases, lots of little robot bodies. But James, I just thought of something terrible. Uh, Want to hear terrible? Okay. So they do have a little display library, this .NET IoT library. Mm-hmm. So you can plug in an LCD or something like that. It's cool. I've seen demos. They're fun. We could get Xamarin Forms working on it. Do it. Great. Do it. I'm in. I'm into it. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. Okay. It's a terrible idea, but a thought, thought provoking could technically do it. (laughs) Well, the world of IoT is still in, in kind of like a wonderful who knows where anything can go and what can happen in the world of IoT. So we'll see what happens. (laughs) Mm. I'm excited about this. I'm excited to see if we hear anything at Build Upcoming, which is just a month away, which is crazy. And of course, 
you know, the, the .NET teams uh, and all the products around it usually do like a, a .NET conf. And I think it's going to be an excited 2019 and we're only three months in so far. So, yeah, uh, we haven't gone through the summer of chaos yet or the summer of love, whatever we're going to call it this year. <laughs> summer whatever of it is. Freaking out because of Android Q and iOS, what, 14? What, 15, I think. 15 Ugh. and a half. 20 and 22 ios 22 <laughs> it's uh less less uh more we're going back to skeuomorphic you know <gasps> we decided yeah blinky let's lights everywhere i'm into it let's do it i'm ready frank my body is ready all right well anything else you want to talk about iot no that was a lot of fun thanks for letting me to chat about devices I'm a, I'm a big fan of i don't know anything about this topic help me frank so <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. You can, of course, give your feedback on the show by heading to mergeconflict.fm and hit that little contact button. You can find us on Twitter at Proclarum, at James Montemagno, and at mergeconflict.fm. We love hearing from our listeners. Things going to do it for this week. Thanks to our sponsor, Raygun. Go to raygun.com to learn more about their awesome tools to help you build apps better and faster by monitoring them. And that's it. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.